Well, let me invite you to turn in your worship guide to page 12 for the reading of Scripture. If, uh, one of the, if you're one of the kids joining us, you can turn the first page in your worship guide. And actually, I'm just going to read up to verse chapter 2, verse 7. I had a typo in my instructions to the staff, so I included two extra verses for you there. Uh, but what we're going to do is we're going to read uh, aloud the words of this prophecy, uh, believing that if we do so uh, and we obey them, that we will be blessed. So kids, uh, I want to welcome you especially. Uh, any Kids, if you're joining with, joining with us and not in class as normal, we do ask a couple of things. We ask that you do a good job listening, uh, good job not talking, um, and that you don't get up and move around right until after the service. So we've provided you a booklet. If you don't have one, you are allowed to get up now and head to the table and grab one, grab some uh, markers and crayons. And it'll be giving you some drawings. If your parents feel like you've done a good job, we do have a prize for you following the service. So would you all, though, now listen with open ears as I read these words from the book that we love. The passage this morning comes from the book of Revelation, beginning in chapter 1, verse 9. Hear now these words. I, John, your brother, and partner in the tribulation and kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos, on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, was one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, for I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, that those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. I know uh, that you are bearing up for my name's sake and that you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet... This you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, we come to this time and we sit under these words, Lord, and these in many ways, especially today, uh, are difficult and strange words. And Lord, I recognize that as we come this morning, we come from all kinds of different places. Some of us come in here and um, our lives feel like the sunshine that we are enjoying outside. Others of us come here um, and our life feels like uh, the hurricane that devastated Montclair several weeks back. Lord, I recognize further that some of us come in here with healthy bodies. Others of us uh, are at home with uh, very ill bodies, uh, dealing with chronic pain or chronic mental illness. Lord, I recognize yet further that some of us are here and we believe in you. Uh, we are eager to hear from you. We want to listen. We want to know. We want to be changed. Others of us are here and we're not sure what we think of you. And yet, perhaps some are here who... Um, unquestionably reject you, are, are here simply fulfilling a family commitment. Lord, I, I, whatever place we are in today, uh, whether we are in joy or uh, crisis, whether we are here in health or in um, overwhelming pain, whether we are here in faith or dealing with all kinds of doubts and objections, I pray, God, that you would give us grace to see that in the way that matters the most, that we do all ultimately arrive here the same, and that is with an overwhelming need for the person and the work and the power and the grace of Jesus Christ. I pray that you would open our eyes and give us ears to hear what the Spirit says to his church today, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, amen. Well, good morning and welcome. It's great to be with you. I was planning to start this series and then some events in my life kind of derailed that. Um, but some of you have been wondering, Darren, why in the world are we looking at the book of Revelation and the reason we are, I don't care what Sam said, you know, he doesn't speak for, he doesn't speak for me, okay? The reason that we are looking for like, the book of Revelation is because my son has been asking for almost 10 years, every year since the church started, to look at the book of Revelation, and he has finally wore me down. And so we are looking at it. Well, that's actually part of the reason. The other part of the reason is because in my lifetime, it has never felt more like the end of the world than it does right now. And so I created a great Spotify playlist that I will be sharing over GroupMe of end of the world songs that you can enjoy at your leisure. We'll be playing some after the live stream cuts out so that we don't get you know, copyright strikes by YouTube. But yeah, in all seriousness, uh, this is a hard book, right? As a pastor, you know, I, this was my first church. And so starting out, Owen would ask me very regularly, you know, when are you going to do the book of Revelation? And in a nice age-appropriate way, I would say, well, when I feel able to do that, right? I don't feel able to do that right now because it's hard, right? And of course, you know, young boys don't understand why it's hard to preach the book of Revelation. They say, Dad, you don't even have to preach it. Just talk about the dragons, right? <laughs> just, I mean, there's dragons in there. I mean, you know, and I just want to say, too, that I am going to arm wrestle Sam for the opportunity to preach the dragon passages on Doodle Sunday and have the opportunity for you kids to draw some killer, well, not, okay, to have you draw some, <laughs> never mind, have you draw some awesome dragons because this is the only time in the history of the church that will happen. So 
Yeah, in all seriousness, though, what's going on here, and, and what's my pastoral interest in this book for you? Because some, some of these things are silly, but, but there is a serious pastoral interest. And what is that pastoral interest? Well, I always go back to what I articulate to be my mission and what I'm attempting to accomplish uh, in this whole work of pastoring and church planting. And, and the way that I've chosen to articulate it is that I work for you, and I work for your joy in Christ, Right? Like, I work to see that you would leave this place having a deeper, uh, abiding joy from God, that you would have less burdens, that you'd have more confidence in Him, uh, and that you would grow closer to Him because that's where joy is found. It's found closer to Him. Now, if you were going to have joy in Jesus Christ when facing potentially the end of the world, Jesus has some instructions for you and for I and for me, right? You know, the book of Revelation is basically asking the question, how is a Christian to conduct himself or herself if it's the end of the world? And that's what this book is, is largely about. And, uh, you know, this book gets misunderstood a lot, right? Um, some folks think of it simply as a puzzle to figure out, to decipher, prophecy to decipher. But at its heart, what we see here and what we'll see played out through the whole book is that the book of Revelation is primarily a letter from Jesus Christ to his church. Right? The book of Revelation is not primarily focused on those outside of the church. It is primarily addressed, we see it in our passage, primarily addressed to his church. And it's striking because it is uh, the most substantial content that we have where the Lord Jesus Christ speaks to his church in his state of exaltation. So what do I mean by that? Well, Theologians, when they talk about the person of Jesus Christ, we talk about him having uh, seasons in his, in his uh, appearing in Scripture. And in the Gospels, when Jesus is born in the manger and he walks among people and he allows them to spit on him and he ultimately suffers execution, theologians refer to that as his humiliation, right? Philippians chapter 2, he humbled himself to be born in the form of man and then he humbled himself becoming obedient to the point of death. And then, as our liturgy says, therefore God has exalted him. He's raised him up. He's put him in the heavenly places. And that's the picture that we see in this book. And that's the picture that we see this morning. And, and friends, this picture does appear uh, periodically throughout the Bible, by the way. This is not the only time. So uh, astute readers will, will no doubt remember a couple other you know, what we might call theophanies or Christophanies is the appearing of God or the appearing of Christ in the Old Testament. Uh, we see them in Daniel, we see them in Genesis, we see them in Ezekiel. There's these hints that there is a whole other reality going on right now that is unseen. And in fact, what's, what's happening in uh, this passage that's before us is that what Jesus is doing to his church is he wants to open our eyes to the reality of heaven so that we can be obedient in this present reality. So what I want to do is ask the kids to go ahead and do some drawing. So kids, I want you to start off by drawing a beautiful tree surrounded with lots of fruit, surrounded by a beautiful garden. We're going to come back to that here at the end. But go ahead and, and, and get that going. Now, to approach our passage, I want to approach it under three headings. Right? How is it that you are to live well uh, in the end of the world? Besides listening to a lot of REM you know, I have to say, to, I, I, I asked our staff to put on the R.A.M. song, and someone said, which one? 
And I said, well, you could play Everybody Hurts because that's, that, that would be fine, but I would prefer it's the end of the world as we know it and I feel fine, right? But you could play Everyone Hurts. Don't play Losing My Religion. <laughs> so, yeah, so uh, how do we live in, the un- in light of the end of the world? Number one, we have to understand the authority of Christ. Secondly, we have to learn to listen to Christ. And then thirdly, we have to undergo a continual practice of renewing our faith, okay? Authority of Christ, listening to Christ, renewing our faith. First of all, the authority of Christ. Uh, Christ is presented uh, as the author of these letters to the church, and ultimately, again, we're saying that Revelation is actually a single letter to his church more broadly. Uh, and, And if you read the commentaries, you know, they'll note that in the letters to these specific churches, right, Laodicea, Ephesus, Thyatira. Oh, and by the way, for all y'all, there is a letter to Philadelphia, so that one you will not want to miss, right? There is, we're one of the few American cities that shows up in this book by name, right? In all these letters, though, what the commentaries do is they actually trace the content of these letters throughout the rest of the book. So they show that the letters are not, you know, this separate section, but they're actually one in the same, that as you go through the the trumpets and the seals and the dragons and the beasts and the lakes of fire, uh, that it's all linked back even to these early letters. And so we have to think of this as a letter of Christ to his church. And what the first thing uh, that Christ, that we see here is that Christ has unique authority to be speaking into your life. Right, that Christ has unique authority to be speaking into your life. And when John beholds him for the first time in verse 17, he says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And friends, you have to understand, right, when, when Jesus was walking around, you know, that did happen on occasion when he was in the Gospels and he was conducting his ministry, but, but a lot of the time it didn't. You know, people would be feel free to walk up to him and like, who are you and what are you doing? But in his state of exaltation, people fall on their face. If you read the Ezekiel passage, by the way, right? if you read uh, in Ezekiel 1, they have what I think is a Christophany, very same reaction, instantly on the ground. Ezekiel sees this vision and he's on the ground. John sees this vision and he's on the ground. And what's being presented here is that Christ has unique authority. Well, what does that mean? Well, it says here in verse 18, he says, I have the keys of death. And I want to allow, I want to ask you to allow this reality to sit on you this morning, right? I know that, I know that y'all all are busy and have lots of things going on. And by the way, I do want, I do want you to know that I spent uh, one weekend with my brother at, at a funeral and he has educated me in Sunday football. I know everything there is to know about Sunday football and college football now. Some of you are thinking about like first downs and some of those things. Okay. I want to ask you to pause from that okay, and allow the reality of this. This is more important than all of that. It's more important than anything that you have going on. Jesus Christ holds the keys of death. That is what he's saying. He's saying, I am writing this to you as the one who decides entrance into death and Hades. Now, uh, Revelation chapter 1 has a lot of overlap with the seventh chapter of Daniel, right? So again, it's one of these, you know, visions that happens in in Daniel, and and the main character is this uh, one that's called the Ancient of Days, right? 
And let me read to you from Daniel 7, verses 9 and 10. This is what Daniel says. He says, I looked and thrones were set in place, right? That's a symbol of authority. And the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, and the hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out before him. Absolutely terrifying sight. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. And then hear these words. The court was seated and the books were opened. Do you hear what's going on there? That Christ is being presented as the ultimate judge. That court is in session. That is what's going on here. And friends, you know, it's interesting as a pastor... I, I sort of get to experience the range of emotions of various types of content, right? And, you know, it's, it's interesting in our day and age, but if I were to put on, you know, Twitter or, or post a TikTok or something, you know, and say, oh, I'm going to go talk about judgment on Sunday, you know, I don't think I would get a great deal of interest, right? In fact, some of you are like uneasy, your bellies are turning, you know, and you're like, oh, it's judgment Sunday, Man, I shouldn't have invited my friend to come. Don't worry, friend. It's going to be great. Okay. Right? But no, Judgment Sunday. But you know what's interesting about that is? You know, there's a, there's a negative reaction to talking about the judgment contained in Scripture. But you know what? When I, when I turn on my Twitter feed, every other post is, we need justice. Right? Justice. Climate justice. We need justice for this group of people, justice for that group of people. I need justice for this at work. And, you know, I want justice in this area of my life. And I'm not belittling any of those things right the way. Many of them I actually, I participate in and agree with. But friends, if there's ever been a time that you have felt like the world is not right or, or that you have been wronged or that a, a group of people has been wronged, right? Whatever your cause is, what you're longing for, ultimately, is you're longing for justice. Well, that's what's being presented here in the Scripture. The Scripture is saying the longing that you have for justice is actually a good longing, and, and that is actually what God is doing in the world and will accomplish. However, this is where I think the problem is, right? Most of the time when we say, I want justice, justice for this you know, justice for this cause, justice for that cause, right? Write this wrong. The word of Christ to you is he says, I will write every wrongs, including the ones that have come from your hands. And that's, that's, that is the package, right? And if you, are, if you are someone eager for justice, but you are unwilling to submit to the same process for yourself, what does that make you? Right? It makes you a hypocrite. So friends, uh, I want to ask you to bear with some of your, some of your reactions to this uh, idea because this is the word of Christ. Christ says, if you're going to know me, if you say, I want to follow Jesus, I want to understand Jesus, I want to walk with him, you have to know him as the judge. You can pretend that he's not. You know, I don't like that, Right? But then what you're doing is you're saying, I would rather him be who I want him to be. That's called, we call that idolatry, right? You know, you could go hire a woodworker. We have some good worker, woodworkers in the church. 
Don't rec- they, won't, they won't help you out with this. Right? But in the old days, you would hire a woodworker, and you'd be like, no, nah, you know, can we just tweak God a little bit? Can we just move you know, these things around here? I don't really care for this about him. But see, the problem is, is that that's simply a work of your own hands. Right? And in the old days, people would actually make that, and they would actually bow down to it. Instead, what we do is we say, I would never do that, but I will think about God in the way that I want to, and I won't submit myself to what he says. Friends, and I want to tell you, as your pastor who is, who is working for your joy, right, I have no ulterior motives, I'm not trying to like go buy my Learjet. I would actually like that, but I'm not trying that with my church salary, right? And no ulterior motives here, I just want your joy. Your joy is, is ultimately connected to the way that you approach Jesus Christ. And if you do not approach him as he is, you will be worshiping an idol and you will not have his joy and you won't enter the life that he has. Right? When, he, when you meet him on that day and he has the keys of death and Hades, he will send you down the path that you don't want to go, ultimately. Right? That's what this passage is saying. The books are open, court is in session, and Jesus is saying, I am the one who holds the keys. But then he shocks, he shocked me. I, I don't know if you were shocked by this. I was completely shocked by this, right? Because here John is on his face in absolute terror at what he's seeing, and what is the word of Christ to him, right? And what is the word of Christ to you if you feel at all like that today? What does he say? Fear not, right? Fear not. The word of Christ to you is, yes, I am the judge. Yes, I am the exalted one. Yes, I have overwhelming power and force to do all that I wish to accomplish. And yes, everything you've done will be in plain sight for me to consider and to rule on and to to make right every wrong but you don't have to be afraid. Why is that? Well, he'll actually, um, I was uh, using the NIV earlier. In verse 18, the NIV puts it this way. He says, I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forevermore. What Jesus is doing in that moment is he says, behold, in the ESV, is he's telling John, look, look upon my body, my exalted body. Look at how full of life it is. Look at how vanquished death has been. And you see, when Jesus appears, he appears not to terrorize, in the case of John, in the case of of, of those of you who belong to him, he appears not to terrorize, but he appears to encourage. Right? That he comes ultimately uh, in this way to encourage. So that is the authority of Jesus Christ. So kids, I want you to go ahead and draw a hand holding seven stars. It's grots of easy doodle drawings in the book of Revelation because they're all, they're all over the place. So that is his authority. And friends, what Jesus is saying to you this morning is he's saying, if you will accept my authority in your life, if you will accept me as I am, not as you wish me to be, but as I am, and right, we, if you're not uncomfortable with who Jesus is, you're probably not seeing him correctly. You're probably making an idol in your own mind and you need to stop immediately, Right? You need to not leave this place an idolater. You need to leave this place a a worshiper of Jesus Christ. He says, if you'll accept that authority, what you need to do is you need to listen to me. Right? So it's the next point, listening to Christ. And 
you know, it comes up here in this, uh, in this letter to, I'm using the letter of, to, Ephesian, to the Ephesian church kind of like an example, but look at verse 7 of chapter 2. This is what he says. He says, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, right? What Christ is doing and what is, what is really difficult in the Christian life a lot of times is actually to learn how to listen. You know, listening is a learned skill. I was talking to uh, one of our speech therapists about this the other day. There's a condition called auditory processing delay where your ears work just fine, but your brain has a hard time absorbing that information quickly. And it's a, it's a kind of a medical condition that, that exists. And there's tools and techniques that you can learn to be able to listen better. You know, it's not a, you know, your, your ears work just fine. Right? But as a Christian, I find that in my own experience, both personally and then walking with you as you walk with God, what I've noticed is that it can be very difficult to listen to Christ. And that's never been more true in a day and age of unrelenting distractions. Right? There's all kinds of things to be distracted about, right? all kinds of junk going on in the world. And friends, I want to tell you, though, no matter how bad you think it is in the world right now, if when we open and really get into the book of Revelation, it will be far worse, right? This is like, whatever, whatever how bad you think things are, this is only the prelude, right? This is only like the pregame show, so to speak. It's going to be a lot worse. And yet, Jesus writes these words, and he's saying, if you're going to make it through what is to come on the world, you need to learn to listen, Right? There is an emphasis in Revelation, by the way, not on learning to decipher the puzzle, a lot of puzzling things, right? What's the dragon? What's the beast? What's the woman? We have Sam for that, okay? That'll be fine, right? And you can argue with him on group me if you want to, right? Um, all, we're not going to do that today. We're not going to get into the, the puzzle, uh, deciphering the puzzle, untangling the web, what we are going to do is we're going to say, what is the plain words of Jesus Christ, and are you able to face them today? Are you able to listen? Are you able to receive them? So what are those words? Well, uh, in this letter to the church at Ephesus, uh, actually I was really struck by this. He writes this letter to the church, and he introduces himself, you know, saying who he is. He says, I'm the one who walks among the golden lampstands. I hold the seven stars in my hands. What is the point of that? The point of it is, and we'll see this confirmed, is that Jesus is saying, what I'm about to say to you is coming from a place of profound knowledge of your life. He's saying, I know you, right? He's saying, I know what you're facing. I know what you've been through. I know your experience. I know your hardships. I know the ways that you've been sinned against. I know the ways that you've sinned against others. I know your family. I know your past, I know even your future. I know you, and I'm writing from a place of knowledge. And then I have to love how he actually gives examples in verse 2 of chapter 2. He's like, I know your works. I know your toil. I know your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and have found them to be false. So they're exercising all kinds of discernment. They're really on the ball. They are not giving up, but they're persevering under incredible trial. They're bearing up for his namesake, and they're not even growing weary of doing so. But then he gets to this point of correction in verse 4, right? He gets to this point of correction. He says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned 
the love that you had at first. Now, what is this talking about, and what is he saying to you? Well, there are, this is a bit of a disputed point, so if you go look up commentaries, you'll notice that the commentaries don't entirely agree about this. Um, some feel like they didn't love each other anymore. Um, some felt like they weren't you know, sharing the gospel anymore. My, my sense of it is, and I'll, what I'll present to you, and happy to hear your challenges on it, is that this is essentially a repeat of what Jesus says in Matthew 24, verses 12. Let me read verse 12 for you. Uh, this is Jesus prophesying of similar events, I believe, in Matthew 24. He says this, because of the increase of wickedness, talking about a future time where the world will get increasingly wicked, right, increasingly evil, he says the love of most will grow cold. Right? Do you hear what he's saying there? And, and friends, when, when I read that and I thought about my own experience in this day and age, right, I am weary of this world. And I am weary of the evil of this world in ways that I have not been felt in any other time in my, my life. And I've heard that from so many of you, right, that you're saying, I am just weary of this. And what the Lord Jesus says in Matthew, right, chapter 24, I believe is, is, is really a parallel to what's happening in Revelation 2, as he's saying, the temptation in that day and time is to allow your love to grow cold, is to lose your love for me. And friends, I want to just, as your pastor, as someone eager for your joy, it is my solemn duty to ask you this morning, has your love for Christ grown cold? Right? All of the ministries of this church are functioning rather well. You know, we're all like, like things are happening, you know, we have, you know, chairs being set up and we have home groups operating and we have service to, uh, to the poor going on. And I'm really grateful for all the functionality, but the functionality does not mean that you love Christ as you did when you first met him. Right? And that's the, uh, that's the metaphor, by the way. It says your love wasn't always cold, but it grows cold. Has, wh where are you at with that this morning, friends? Right? That, that issue can be shielded by doing a lot of work. Right? You can be very busy doing all kinds of things, and yet your love for Christ grows really cold. And friends, you know, I have to be honest. I mean, I've, I've experienced this myself. I've had seasons of this myself. And it's easy to think of this as something optional. It's optional. As long as I'm doing the work, that's what matters. Whether I am passionate about Christ or not is secondary, but look at the words of Christ to this people. He says, repent and do the works you did at first, and if not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. He's, what is he saying? I'll close your church. If you are not going to love me, if you are not going to have the love that you had at first, I will close your church and I'll give it someone else, right? Or in, your, in, in the case of your own life, right, I will make you unfruitful. And, and friends, that actually is the thing that I do fear the most is, you know, when I look at, when I look at my own life and I look at your lives, I, know I don't fear a lot of apostasy. I do think that is a real thing that, that does happen in some cases, but I fear you becoming unfruitful. 
or AKA, the Lord Jesus Christ giving you opportunity to repent and finally and ultimately saying, I will remove your lampstand and I will give it to someone else. You know, when we were trying to purchase a space, we would have prayer meetings. And one of the things I used to pray is I said, Lord, only give us this space if we will use it for you, if we will fill it up with all kinds of service to this city and service to Christ. And if we won't, please give it to someone else. Uh, and that is kind of a pattern that's, uh, that's presented here, right? Which Jesus is saying, look, you need to do the works you did at first, meaning you need to go back to the joy of your salvation. The psalmist, you know, and the Psalms are filled with this language, right? Of restore to me the joy of my salvation. The common practice in the Psalms. So kids, for point number two, what I want you to do is I want you to draw yourself listening to Christ. And so I thought you could draw yourself putting your ear up against the door. Does any, has any kid actually willing to admit to doing this? Right? Thank you. I appreciate your honesty. Right? Or, you know, draw yourself putting your ear up to against the door, trying to listen as hard as you can to what's being said. So that's the, the word of Christ for us this morning is that we are called to repent and not allow our love to grow cold. Now, how do you do that? How do you renew your faith? Well, um, chapter 2, verse 5 says this. He says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. The, the prescription of Christ for this reality, if you're facing this this morning, or you will face it in a future season, he says, you need to go about the practice of remembering, right? Which is a real big priority in the Old Testament. You know, the Old Testament, Israel, anytime they stopped remembering the works of God, they always walked away from him and, and had profound devastation, and their love most certainly grew ice cold. It was like dry ice cold, okay? And in your life, if your love is grown cold, he says, remember from where you have fallen. Go back to the place where you met Christ. Go back to when you first learned of him and take some time uh, to remember his works in your life. Take some time to remember the work on the cross. We're going to give you an opportunity to, for that at communion here this morning. Take some time to think back and to reflect on these things in your life. And you know, friends, what I'll tell you as a pastor is that I actually think that this is such a prominent theme in Scripture because it's actually normal, right? That the pattern of the Christian life, if you, see, if you read the Old Testament, you'll see Israel, they follow, they follow the Lord, and then they forget, and then they wander, and then life becomes miserable, and then they come back, they follow the Lord, and then they wander, and then life becomes miserable. And you know, friends, I have to tell you, in my pastoral experience, it's actually pretty normal for you as well, right? And I say that because the word of Christ for you is not, how dare that happen to you? But the word of Christ to you is, no, take some time to remember my work in your life. And I would challenge you this morning, take some time to remember his work in your life. Take some time to reflect on his power that he has shown you. Take some time to inventory the ways in which he has been gracious to you. And then take some time to repent of your love growing cold. Take some time to repent of the unbelief that has crept into your soul, that is burrowed in deep and has made its home there. So kids, what I want you to do for this uh, point number three is to draw yourself thinking back on that time where you first believed that God is real. Right? So now, uh, the promise of Christ uh, that he gives to his church and that he gives to you and I this morning uh, 
is he says uh, in verse 7, he who has an ear to hear, if you've developed the art of listening, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And then he says this, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat at the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And of course, if, if you know the story, this is hearkening back to uh, the earliest writings of Genesis, right? Genesis chapter 3, there is this tree of life that Adam and Eve are forbidden from taking from, because if they take from it, they will, instead of being sentenced to death, they were sentenced to death, and the day you eat of it, you'll surely die. He says, but if you eat from the tree of life, you will live forever. And what Christ is saying here is he's saying, look, this whole business of what I'm after in your life, I'm after your eternal life. I'm after you living forever. After you eating of the tree, I'm inviting you to come and to feast at this tree And then we fast forward the book to chapter 21 where he says, and I will execute judgment such that you will never cry again, that you will never mourn death, that you will never experience the profound loss that we all are going to experience in this life of broken things and broken people and broken systems. I I will undo all of those things. There will be no more sin, no more shame, no more sorrow, no more suffering. You will not have to say goodbye to loved ones. You will not have friendships that are irrevocably broken and severed because of something stupid that you did, right, or was done to you. Everything will work as it's been intended. Justice will flow like a river. There will be no more injustice in any form, right, because he says, I hold the keys of life. I'm opening that up for those who eat at this tree, And he is inviting you to do that this morning. And he gives us this meal, which is actually a foretaste of that banquet. And that's why as Christians, by the way, we eat this bread and we drink this cup. What we're doing is we're having a foretaste of this banquet. We're having a foretaste of the meal that is to come. We're drinking it down deep in us. And we're saying, yes, Lord, do your work in me. Give me grace to repent. Give me grace to follow you. Don't let my love grow cold. And so what I want to ask you kids to do, uh, lastly, is just this tree you drew at the intro. Draw it again, but this time draw yourself picking fruit and eating from it. Let me pray for us all. Father God, I do pray that you would uh, bring every single soul into this room uh, to the tree of life that is in the paradise of God. Pray that not one uh, would miss out on this. And Lord, I pray for us, um, for those whose love has grown cold, perhaps because of the wickedness that's been increasing, Lord, I pray that you would give us all grace to repent, that you would help us to remember you, uh, that we would not walk around given to distraction, given to um, all of of the the evils of this world, but that we would remember the joy, that you would restore to us the joy of our salvation, that we would remember you in the days of our youth, that we would be filled afresh anew with the Spirit of Christ. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.